Does anybody need some encouragement this morning? Because, man, have I got encouragement for you all. All right, good. I see some hands down there. Last week, we kicked off a series called Undefeated, Living in the Victory of King Jesus. And really what my heart is to preach a theology of hope. Like, why should the church be the place where people go if they're depressed and discouraged and down and out and, and they need hope? And can I just tell you, if the church is a place that's depressed and discouraged and down and out, then how do we have hope for anybody in the world that doesn't know Jesus or never has encountered God? So the church has got to be a, a, a bastion in a broken world of hope. We've got to be filled with buoyancy, all right? A sense inside of us that we serve a great big God and that God is large and in charge. Now, I was just sharing with you last week some important questions. Number one, what is our mission and calling as God's covenant people in history? Now, I keep emphasizing in history because we all know where the future is going. We all know about the triumphant return of Jesus Christ. We all know about the new heavens and the new earth, and we know that the story ends really great. Amen? The question is, what about now? What about in human history? Does the church have a shot? Are we, what are we called to? In fact, does the church have a bright future? Or are we just supposed to hold the fort till Jesus comes and barely any of us are going to make it like some people believe? Or do we have a bright future? I'm arguing for a bright future, and I'm going to try to make that pretty clear. Are Christians really called to transform the culture, or should we just wring our hands as the culture seems to get darker and darker and farther away from Christ, or are we really called? Like, do we have a responsibility before God to transform out there, not just in here, but transform out there? I'm arguing that, yes, we do. We have a responsibility to bring the kingdom out there in real world where we operate from nine to five most days of the week, right? When we're working and going about our father's business, that the church is called to transformation. And again, I'm going to build a case for that because I think if we're just going to sit back and wring our hands and freak out like the rest of the people on planet earth and expect a dark, dismal future for the church, um, we are of all people to be most pitied because that is not the vision that Christ is laying out for us. In fact, last Sunday, I tried to simply be a cheerleader, and that's all I'm going to do today, all right? I wish I could hand out pom-poms to all y'all when you came in, because I'm just going to be a cheerleader, and I expect you, all we're doing is we're going to declare the greatness of our God once again, all right? And there's something powerful in not only declaring the greatness of God, but believing what the Bible says about who He is. In fact, it's transformational for us before we can go out and hope to transform the culture. So turn with me to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans 15, verse 13, Paul, this is one of Paul's apostolic prayers for us, for the church. He says, I pray, and here's his prayer, I pray that God, the source of hope, I mean, you know, that's, that's good to pause right there, you're not going to find any hope in this world or in the next world apart from God Almighty. God is the source of our hope. At funerals, I love to point people back to God because if you're looking for hope, the only hope we can have is hope in the Lord. It's in God Almighty. So Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely, this is a good prayer, with two things, with joy and with peace. How many of you need some joy in your life? Okay, good. The rest of you, I guess, are content as you sit there looking at me with your gloomy faces, all right? Hey, how many of you like joy? The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you with joy and peace. Now, how many of you know peace and joy are two of the three uh, ingredients of life in the kingdom? And I, I keep challenging you all with this. It is so unbecoming for us as Christ's church to be freaking out, to be living in fear, to be depressed, discouraged, uh, tense, anxious, uh, taking Xanax, whatever it is. It, is. it is unbecoming of the Lord when the kingdom of God is right thinking, right relationships, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you, if we're not living in peace and we're not living in joy, something's wrong because that is the atmosphere of the kingdom. Now, please hear me. Certain things knock us out of peace and knock us out of joy. And we go through life. I'm not pretending there's not a school of hard knocks out there. But how many of you know it's very critical as you mature in God, if you get knocked out of your joy, to get back in as soon as possible? If you get knocked out of your peace and all of a sudden you find yourself full of fear, realize where you're at and get back in the state of peace so you could be sleeping in the boat like Jesus in the midst of the storm. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So peace and joy are how you know. It's the, it's the daily test that you take so that you know whether you're living in God's domain. This, if I could give you a practical hint for life, this, this is like a, a life message for me. Whenever I wake up and I find my heart's in turmoil, I go, whoa, what's going on here? I grab a hold of my brain. I align my brain with the truth. I meditate on the truth, and then I choose to live in joy and peace because that's who I am, and that's the kingdom that I live in. There are many, many Christians who don't live in peace and don't live in joy, not because God is not providing it, but because they're not choosing to go after it. And so how are we going to be different from the world if we're freaking out about the same things they're freaking out about? We can't be. So two things are going to make you stick out, all right? They're going to make you peculiar. Your joy and your peace. Hey, it's going to be all right. Because last week we kind of gave some secret information about a king and a throne and a kingdom. And like he's really, really big and he's got stuff under control. So God wants to fill us completely, not partially, completely with joy and peace because, that's a key word, I circle that in my Bible, because you trust in him. This is amazing. How many of you know without faith, none of this applies to you? Our response is to believe what God says. Our whole work is belief. That's what we do. We believe. So you can be like, well, you know, Pastor Ron, I think, and you're just being simplistic. Fine. You live in depression and anxiety. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Pastor, you seem to make it so simple. I just read it and try to believe what it says. It says here, that he'll fill me completely with joy and peace because I trust him. So you know what I'm going to do? Trust him. I'm going to declare it with my mouth. You know, I love the first song we sang this morning because it's a song of declaration. It says, this is what I believe. And it's not enough to keep your beliefs on the inside. The Bible says, I, 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 I believe, therefore I spoke, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, you declare what you believe about God in the midst of opposition and challenge. This makes sense. The time you need to be talking is when the devil's 
talking to you. When culture is talking to you, when circumstances are talking to you, that's the time to be talking. It's the time to be believing. It's the time to be declaring truth. Then, I circle that word too, then, okay, after I trust him, then I'm going to overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a great, this, we could quit right here and go home. This is good news. God wants you overflowing with confident hope. Pastor, didn't you watch the news last night? I could care less about the news last night. The news is not my reality. This is my reality. The kingdom is my reality. And what's going to set us apart and cause us to rise to the top is our ability to declare with our mouths our confident trust in the Lord, which is going to lead to an overflowing of the Holy Ghost, producing hope for people. And I don't know about you, I believe people are going to be flocking to the churches of Jesus Christ that are preaching the gospel because people are looking for hope. And we've just begun to see the shaking. So how about this, man? We're just, we're just living in the hope that God provides for us. This is going to be a place of joy. This is going to be a place of peace. This is going to be a place of power in the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. You know, last week, we, we just cheerleaded. Right? We just said, let's look at God. Who is God? Isaiah said, I saw this king, and he's sitting on a throne. Wow, God is a king, and he has a kingdom. In fact, we learn in Psalm 103, the Lord has made the heavens for his throne, and from there he rules over everything. His name is El Elyon, the Lord Most High. His dominion spans the entire created realm, and his kingdom is without end. And here's a great question I came across this week from a guy named Robert Weber. He says, the most pressing spiritual question of our time is this, who gets to narrate the world? Oh, I love that. I'll tell you what, the mainstream media doesn't get to tell the story. That's propaganda. They're not telling the right story. There's not a, a world ruler that has the right to narrate the story. The only person that has the right to narrate the story is the king of glory, our great creator, who knows the beginning from the end. He gets to be the storyteller. We get to find our place within the story or else we're just irrelevant, but the story is going to happen. That's why it's beautiful when we submit ourselves to the Lord. I shared last week, if God's the creator king, that means he created you. If he created you, then we have a choice to make. Our choice is very simple. We live in rebellion against God. We pretend like we're in charge or we bow the knee before the king. That's called salvation. That's called repentance. We bow before the Lord. We admit that we're sinners. We admit that we're broken. We admit that we did not create ourselves. We admit that we're clueless. We're in a story that we do not know the beginning from the end apart from God. So we just say, Lord, like the psalmist, I'm a stranger on planet earth. Don't hide your laws from me. God, teach me who I am and show me what I've been called to do. And we grab the hand of God and we kiss the hand because we adore him and we give our lives to him. And now we're relevant and we're more than relevant. We're valued and we're precious and we have purpose in life. That's what it means to connect the dots. That's what it means if God is the creator king. He has the right to narrate my story, your story, and all of human history. God does not inhabit our world. This is important. Rather, we inhabit his world. Now, that is, it sounds so similar, but it is so powerful in its shift. We're not asking God to join us and to help us. 
we're in his world. We're not asking him to come into our world. We're in his world. And when you, when you make this shift in your mind and you realize everywhere you walk is holy ground because it belongs to God. Everything that is exists for his glory. It's his world. Every government exists for his glory. Every educational institution exists for his glory. Every song ever sung exists for his glory. Every book ever written exists for his glory. The whole of creation belongs to God. We're living in his world. So take your shoes off. We're on holy ground. And look at the world differently. Every place you put your foot belongs to the Lord. Not one square inch of planet Earth or the cosmos, for that matter, does not bear his stamp of authority and ownership. He's bigger than we thought, and he's more powerful than we thought. As I said, our joyful or our response is simply joyful submission to his loving leadership. He's a good, good God. 1 Chronicles 29, 11, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Doesn't it feel good? I'm just challenging some of you. It feels so good to just relinquish control of a life that's not yours. You know, we're trying to teach business leaders to do this, you know? Your business is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. Let him be the CEO. You work for him. Listen to him. Seek him. Bring your decisions before the Lord. You don't have to parent by yourself. God gave you those kids. Those kids belong to him. Why don't you give your kids to the Lord? Why don't you give your spouse to the Lord? Why don't you give your life? Right now, with all the challenges, why don't we just give it to the Lord and just adore him and let him figure out the details? Because he's such a good God. I mean, you know, Christianity is not that hard. But the problem is, you go back to Genesis 3, and here's where we, here's where we come to the problem. We're going to celebrate the greatness of Jesus Christ as our supreme champion today. But we've got to deal with the rebellion and the treason. You know, we were created in the image of God. We were made to rule and reign as his regents on planet Earth. All of this, of course, was destroyed when the fall happened, Genesis chapter 3. And I want to just you know, pro- proclaim here, we failed our mission. Instead of taking over dominion on planet earth for the glory of God, ruling and reigning under him as regents, we acted like we were God. We acted like we were in charge. We're the center of reality. The problem is, as a result of our rebellion, we're spiritually dead, we're alienated from God, and we're in desperate need of reconciliation, which is why I love we're singing today, you are good, you are good, uh, uh, declaring the goodness of God, because I mean, you know, God didn't leave us in our brokenness. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today, God is not a God who will ever allow the devil to have the last word over your life or over anything he created. God's not a loser. God's a winner. God reconciles, restores. In fact, how many of you have ever read the Bible and you notice all those words in the Bible that start with the prefix R-E? Like if something's torn down, what are we doing in the Gulf Coast? We're rebuilding. What we're saying is, yeah, things are a mess right now, but you people are precious, this property's precious, and we're going to rebuild what was destroyed. Look at what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what, what Jesus does. In Acts chapter 28, verse 30, 
Um, this is what we see Paul doing, all right? And I want to highlight a couple of things here because here's the deal. God's reign is now being demonstrated as a redemptive reign. He's, he's offering amnesty through his son. And I just want to say today, if you're here this morning and you're far from God or you've been trying to do it on your own or maybe you're in just open rebellion against the Lord, the good news is there's amnesty. There's forgiveness. God's pursuing you to redeem you and to restore you. Look at what Paul's doing in Acts 28. This is at the end of, of what we know to be his ministry. We don't have any more details after this. But it says for, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him. And here's what he was doing. He's preaching about two major themes. And this should be the message of the church of Jesus Christ. He's boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God. In other words, God is king over all the earth. We preached this last Sunday. And his kingdom rules over all. That's a great message. Look what else he's proclaiming. He's teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, nobody tried to stop him. I love this. I think we're coming into a time where the world is waiting to hear the good news of the gospel. And the church needs to be proclaiming the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God over all things. And we need to be proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, occurs over 100 times in the New Testament. How many know it's an important name? Each of those names, it's actually three names right there, welded together to describe the person and the greatness and the glory of Jesus. So I want to unpackage these, and I want to start with the name Jesus first. Jesus, it means Savior, Messiah. In Matthew one twenty one. Jesus will save his people from their sins. And as you look at all these re-words, all right, when the enemy comes to lie and to kill and steal and destroy, I, I, you need to hear this. God doesn't roll over and quit. He doesn't allow Satan to have the last word. He comes and he sends his son Jesus to redeem humanity from sin. That means to purchase you back. Now, some of you are here this morning and there's been brokenness and pain and sin and we deal with this stuff at Encounter Weekends. This is the good news. God doesn't just sit back and go, oh, well, I'm sorry that that happened in your life. God sends his son Jesus to restore you from every bit of brokenness and loss you experienced at the hands of the devil. And you need to understand this about Christ. There's a jealousy in the ministry of Jesus for the glory of the Father. And because God is undefeated, he never allows the devil to have the last word in anything. Some of you need to hear that today. You're fighting for breakthrough. You're fighting for healing. You're fighting for reconciliation. In fact, let's look at some of these more rewords here. He redeems us. He purchases back from sin. He reconciles us to God and to one another. There might be some of you are believing for racial reconciliation, uh, relational reconciliation, family reconciliation, marital reconciliation. How many of you know Jesus sponsors? He's the reconciler of all things to God and to each other, which means if you are are believing God for breakthrough. I'm telling you, you have every right and every bit of authority to stand with the authority of Christ because he's a reconciler. And, and, and go after that for yourself. That's what he does. He brings people together. He restores us to our full humanity by healing our brokenness. 
You know, I was sharing last week uh, a powerful prophetic word when Ivan Tate was here over a, a woman's life, and, and he spoke three things that happened in her life that crushed her. And as I spoke to her afterwards, she said exactly when that prophetic word came, those three things popped into her mind instantly because she knew that was a word from God. Now, this is what I'm telling you. How incredible is God, through his son Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to speak to somebody in the audience that they've never met, but the Holy Spirit knows their situation, and to offer them hope and basically say, God's speaking here via the Holy Spirit. I know three situations that crushed you, but I'm Jesus. I'm here to heal you. How awesome is that? Now, that's what he does. Listen, he pursues you. He never quits on you. He keeps chasing you down. We sing that wonderful song, Reckless Love. Uh, again, he goes after people that are lost and separated. And guess what? He hasn't stopped doing that. So he's going to go after you. He's going to go after those areas of brokenness. And I appreciate Joe's testimony. We, we stand here on Sunday morning with all this brokenness in our lives, and we think we're the only one. No, we're surrounded by broken people. But the good news is we're under the goodness and grace of God. He's here to love you, to forgive you, to heal you, to restore you. And he does it in such an intimate, personal way because he's a reconciler. He's a restorer. He's a healer. He resurrects us, another good reword. He resurrects us from death that was brought about by our rebellion. Hallelujah. And finally, Jesus promises to restore all things. In Revelation 21, verse 5, Behold, I make all things new. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you're going, Man, what you know, what's Jesus want to do in my life? He wants to totally transform you from top to bottom and make you completely new. How's that for good news? That's what he does. Is it, Pastor, I don't know, you don't know my past. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me that the greatness of Jesus is smaller than your sin or your brokenness or your situation? Come on, you don't know Jesus. You don't know the power that he brings. He is Jesus, the Savior and the Messiah. He is always at work, actively restoring all things to himself. And God does all of this work through his beloved son, Jesus. But I want you to look at the second title. This is important. Jesus is called the Christ. That word Christ means anointed king. And when we look in the New Testament, we see this idea of God's kingship continuing in his son, Jesus, who's the Davidic Messiah. The Gospels tell us the story of Jesus inaugurating and establishing the kingdom of God, but also uh, uh, God's kingdom is also Jesus' kingdom. This is important, and therefore Jesus is also king. When you look at Ephesians 5, verse 5 on the screen, it says the kingdom of Christ and of God. So what we see in the New Testament is Jesus is coming to reestablish the dominion of God and his kingdom in the earth. This is important. If I were to ask you, how many of you believe that the kingdom is coming, again, at Christ's second coming, most of you say yes, yes, yes. And that's true. The fullness is coming. But the inauguration of the kingdom, and this is important, this is not for some future millennial period. There's so many promises of God that are for the reign of Christ. And if the reign of Christ isn't to the future, we're in deep doo-doo. Is it okay to say that in church? I guess that's pretty accurate. It's the truth. But Jesus established his reign long before the second coming. We're living under the reign of Christ right now. And this should encourage us. Let me give you some biblical support for this. Let me give you some biblical support. 
When Jesus comes to deal with our sin and our brokenness, he doesn't come like other kings. How many of you know he came as a servant king? In fact, Philippians 2 says he is a bond slave, the lowest of servants. He died a criminal's death on the cross. In fact, the cross became his throne. Isn't that ironic? On the cross, it was actually Christ taking his place, reigning as king. Didn't make sense to human beings. But also on his crucifixion, when it was over, it came the resurrection and the ascension, which was his coronation ceremony. So the king we worship is a crucified king, but he's also a servant king who after his humiliation was greatly exalted by God. In fact, Philippians 2 says he's been elevated, and I love this, he's been given the place of highest honor. He's been given a name above all other names. Doesn't this sound like God last week when we were talking about God being the God above all gods, the greatest of all? And the Bible says at that name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. What's the name, though? He was given the name Lord. Lord, which means the resurrection completes the inauguration of his kingdom. It was a decisive event that demonstrated Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the inauguration of that kingdom. Look with me at Romans chapter 14, verse 9. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose. We should circle that. What's the purpose? To be both Lord of the living and the dead. Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what happened when he resurrected from the dead. Jesus Christ in Revelation 1.5 is called the ruler of all the kings of the world. Now, when is he the ruler of all the kings of the world? If, if, if this is referring to his second coming, he doesn't have any competition at his second coming. He's already the King of kings and Lord of lords. What's this referring to? Now he is, the, he is the king of all the rulers of this world. Jesus has ultimate authority on planet earth now. Revelation 19, verse 16, on his robe at his thigh was written this title. He's the king of all the kings. And the Lord of all the lords. Now again, that title matters not in eternity, but now. Because we have kings, and we have rulers, and we have lords, and we have presidents, and we have dictators. Jesus Christ declares that even now he's seated in a position of authority at the Father's right hand, and he's demonstrating his rule and reign until all of his enemies are brought under his submission. That's what he's doing now. Next week, we're going to talk about the mission of the church. Where do we fit in this important narration of the story we're going to get into it next week but you got to understand we are living under the king of glory god almighty el elion the most high god how many of you that's your god okay because good because you're ready for this it's meaningless if he's not your god but if he's your god that's who we live under he is ruling and reigning over all of creation right now who's sitting next to his great and lofty throne his son jesus christ who redeemed a people for himself, came and pursued us. All those rewords, reconciled, restored, uh, redeemed, all the stuff that Jesus did. He, tra- he, he tracked us down and loved us to life. Aren't you grateful for the goodness of God in your life? That's who we worship this morning. Now look with me, because this gets to be really exciting. When we look at the third title, Lord, look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Here's another apostolic prayer from Paul. He said, I also pray 
that you folks, Living Stones Church, you guys will understand the incredible greatness. Now, can I just pause there? When we use the word greatness, that's sufficient. Greatness means greatness, right? There's nothing greater. But Paul has to use an adjective to describe God's greatness. He calls it incredible greatness. It's not just normal run-of-the-mill greatness. It's incredible greatness. This is greatness like none other. I pray you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for who? For us who do what? Believe. This is so important again. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. What is your ministry? Ready for this? Believe. Believe. Believe who God says he is. You know, I was praying with a man this morning. He said, Pastor, he goes, I just get discouraged sometimes when I look at my life and how broken I've been, and I think about all the work that it's going to take to get me to a place of healing. Have you ever, anybody ever thought that? Can, can I just blow your mind with something? All the time it took for you to destroy your life is not the amount of time that it takes for Jesus to heal your life. That's good news. You say, Pastor, I've wasted so much of my life. That's okay. God can save a nation in a day. We're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in weeks to come. Why do we get overwhelmed? Oh, the world looks this way. Oh, my gosh. How are we going to do this? How are we ever going to take over education? How are we going to reclaim government and have righteous people? Oh, my gosh. How are we going to do all this stuff? It's nothing. When a move of God shows up and the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out, God can reverse a nation in a matter of time, small amount of time. We've got to get our eyes on God. This is what I told him. I said, here's your work. You're overwhelmed by the work. Your work is to believe God. Your work is to surrender. Your work is to present yourself to God. Watch how he was saying, I've had so many prophecies and things spoken over my life. And basically he's saying, I've ruined my life. My life's a failure. And none of those things that were said are going to happen. But when God speaks over your life, how do you stop the word of the Lord? The zeal of the Lord works to perform what God speaks. Not a word of his comes back void. He's the author. He's the finisher. What he starts in you, he's big enough to finish finishing you. Get your eyes off of your weakness. Get your eyes off of your brokenness and look to the Lord and believe God. Believe God. Hallelujah. Lord, we believe. Lord, we believe. Yes, we believe you. We trust you. We honor you. You are awesome. Jesus Christ the Lord. Hallelujah. Man, it gets gooder and gooder. Let me keep going here. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us, for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Are you kidding me? It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is what is available for the church. That's what the Bible says. That's not my opinion. I just got to interject here too. You know, it's time we put our opinions 
where they belong, and the junk pile of human history. Well, pastor, pastor, what do you believe about same-sex marriage? My opinion about same-sex marriage does not matter to a hill of beans. And let me pop your bubble. Neither does yours or any other human being's opinion. We don't preach the opinions of men. The church is prophetic. The church says, thus saith the Lord. That's what we declare. It's God's opinion that matters, period. It's what he says, period. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor right next to God at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, everybody say now. now. When is now? now? Now, in human history. Now, not in the future. Everybody say it again. Now, now. some of you are wearing those t-shirts this morning. Thank you. Now, now. Jesus is far above any ruler, far above all authority on planet earth, far above every power, far above every leader. And I love what Paul says here, or anything else. He included it all, all right? Jesus is far above any competition, not barely inching them out, far above, not even close. Not only in this world now, but also in the world to come forevermore. God has put all things, everybody say all things, all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over, say it again, all things, check this out, why did he do this? For the benefit of living stones, which is part of his church. He did all that for us. <laughs> for the benefit of his church. Now, let me ask you, why would he do all that for the benefit of his church if he's not going to do anything but let the devil take over planet Earth and destroy everything, and then he's going to come someday? That's not much benefit to the church because we don't need him on the last day. We need him now. I want this to sink in. You are victorious. The church will kick down the gates of hell. We're called to redeem planet Earth now, now, now. He's done all this for us now. He's large and in charge now. Our job is to believe to see him as he is, to worship him as he is, and then to live our lives accordingly. All right, moving on here. You guys getting anything out of it? I'm, I'm just This is all what the good book says about who Jesus is. This is awesome. How do we know this happened? How do we know Jesus is Lord? Let's check his ministry out. I love Mark, Mark's gospel chapter one. First of all, Jesus shows up to church on Sunday and they let him preach. What did they say about his preaching? Never heard anybody speak with authority like that. 
I mean, you know, that's one indicator he's, he has authority because he speaks with authority. In other words, you feel the weight of what he says. And then it goes on. It says, while church was happening, somebody manifested a demon. And the person started screaming out. The demon started screaming out. Ah! Let out a shriek. I mean, you know, that got everybody's attention in church that Sunday. A shriek. Ah! And it's like, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, shut up. (laughs) And ready for this? The demons obey. Because he has authority far above every principality and power. And then he leaves church, and there's people, broken people, hurting people, sick people everywhere. And you know what he does? He begins to heal their bodies. Who can do this stuff? Speak with authority. Even the demons tremble at his voice, and he speaks to situations, and they change. This man, and oh, and then, okay, so how do we know that he's reigning on behalf of the church? Open your Bible to the book of Acts. You'll see an account of, ready for this, of all that Jesus began to teach and to do. Key word, began. If he began, then how is he doing it? Because he's not on planet Earth any longer. If he only began to teach and do, then how is his work continuing? So what happens when the boys go out on their first missionary assignment and they run into the same challenges that Jesus ran into? You all remember those stories? And they started praying and they started using Jesus' name. Stuff happened. The same stuff that happened through Jesus' ministry. How do we know Jesus is really at the right hand of the Father? Because he's demonstrating his authority in the earth through the church. That's how you know he's reigning. But if the church is beat up, broken down, no vision, acting like the world, no power, no purity, none of it. How in the world are we testifying that Jesus is seated next to the Father, demonstrating all power and authority and reigning over his kingdom that's supposed to be expressed through his church? And we're hopeless and broken and pouting and depressed and fighting and full of sin. How is that the church of Jesus Christ? And so then we create bad theology to explain why we're so broken and powerless and pathetic. Well, God doesn't work that way anymore, and we're, the devil's going to get bad, the Antichrist is going to emerge, and we're all going to be with our left-behind books, you know, hiding in a closet, and we're going to be freaking out, biting our nails, waiting for the Antichrist to show up. Stop it, you pathetic people! What a pathetic future! This is the king of glory's church? Are you kidding me? That's what we've been called to? Celebrate our failure? We're called to take over planet Earth for the glory of God. We're called to move in the authority of Christ. We're called to love people and serve people and lay our lives down just like Jesus did. And he will demonstrate the greatness and the superiority of his name and authority in the earth for the benefit of the church so that he's glorified. Now listen to me. When Jesus prays prayers, do you think God hears his prayers? I'm going to ask that again. Some of you think he's, I'm trying to trick you. 
I'm not trying to trick you. When Jesus prays prayers, does he pray according to the will of the Father? Absolutely. Is he full of the Holy Spirit? Does he pray selfish prayers? No, he's not selfish. He's God. He's perfect. When Jesus prays prayers, does God listen? And more importantly, does God answer? What prayer did Jesus pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, I'm paraphrasing here, seated in power and glory and all of might. El Elyon, King, Most High God. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed, holy, holy, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Now, did Jesus pray that prayer? Then why are we suspecting that somehow it has a end times when Christ comes again fulfillment when Christ is waiting for the church to begin fulfilling the prayer even as we speak, even now. Now we can argue over how much transformation is going to happen before the second coming, and that's why we have different eschatological viewpoints, but here's what I want to drive home without getting into the weeds. We need to have a victory mentality now. We serve a big God now. We have been empowered now for such a time as this. And let me wrap up here quickly. Look at John chapter 17, verse 1. After saying these things, Jesus looked up to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. Look at verse 2. This is powerful. For you have given him authority over everyone. That is a bold statement. Jesus has absolute authority over everyone and everything. And look at what it says next. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. The successes of the gospel in our time and in all of history are proofs that Christ's reign had begun. His prayer, thy kingdom come, is going to be fulfilled. John chapter 17, 26, look at here. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Now, ancient writers, as they studied uh, godly people from generations past, when they read that phrase, I will continue to do so, this is what they said. You know what? If Jesus promised that he's done this in the past, I have, past tense, revealed you to them, then Jesus is still about revealing himself to men and continuing his work even today. They would read that and go, he's going to continue to act in the same redemptive way that he's been acting when he was on planet Earth. So the point is they believe the word of God. They believe that the Lord wanted to continue to move on our behalf. Look at Matthew 12, verse 20. Jesus, talking about Jesus here. Jesus is not going to crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. If you're here today and you're broken, Jesus is not going to stomp on you and just throw you in the trash heap. And here's the good news. If your flame is flickering, Jesus is not going to just blow it out. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to get around, put his hands around you. He's going to gently, he's going to, he's going to ignite you. Because Jesus, listen, Jesus doesn't throw broke things away. He restores everything. Let me say something else. Jesus doesn't throw broke cultures away. He heals them. Jesus doesn't destroy broken planets. He heals them. 
And for God so loved the cosmos. That's what that word in the Greek means. For God so loved the cosmos, he sent his son. Jesus is restoring the entire created realm because God is not a loser. And the devil will not have the final word over your life. God will have the final word over your life. Jesus will be the healer of your life. And Jesus is the hope bringer. He is God Almighty, the source of hope. Let me finish with this passage. What great news. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And look at verse 21. In his name, the Lord Jesus Christ. That name will be the hope of all the world. Can I just tell you, this is the time for the church to get out of our silent mode. I'm so sick of all this um, moral relativism, religious pluralism. We got all these fancy words. It's, I'll tell you what it is. It's idolatry. It is state-sanctioned idolatry. The job of the church has never been to be popular or to fit in. We are countercultural. We represent a different realm. We are winners. We move in power and authority. We are prisoners of hope. We are hope dealers in a world full of brokenness and pain. No situation is too big for our God. No situation is outside of his realm of authority. He rules over all. Whatever challenges in our life are small compared to his greatness. This is why we worship. Because worship reminds us we're singing to somebody far bigger than me and all the problems of the world combined. Do you really believe Jesus is bigger than all the problems in the whole world combined? Do you believe that he has more power? to touch and heal, that there's nothing in hell that can stop the authority of Jesus. So what do we do? We declare his name to be the hope of the entire world. But he has to be our hope first. How does he become our hope? We believe. I mean, you figured out, the promises in the Bible are so huge that our minds cannot readily apprehend them by themselves. It doesn't mean that it's untrue. It means that we're limited and we need help. So how many times do you see in the Bible someone say something like this? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at God's right hand is available for we who believe So, ah, well, you know, Pastor, I just don't know if, you know, if I really believe that's the proper interpretation. Just live your miserable, failed life. <laughs> just, you can be saved, you can be saved and be miserable your whole life. You can be saved and defeated. You can be saved and powerless. You can be saved and bound by fear. Or you can believe. And part of what we do in the local church, part of what we do in the local church is we encourage one another to believe. I'm not picking on people today. I know some of you have challenges in your life, real challenges. I'm just telling you God's bigger. 
I'm just telling you, get, you know, the best thing you can do to the devil when he's got you a little bit down is just smirk. Because when you're smirking, he's, you know, beating the tar out of you and you got a grin on your face, it ticks him off. It also reminds him, uh-oh, this person's starting to remember who they are. And uh, I better get out of here because uh, I'm getting a whipping. I'm getting a whipping. Jesus gave the devil the biggest whipping he ever got. And here's the good part. We get to continue the whipping. So here's the deal. Live in joy and live in peace through believing God and be overflowing with hope through the Holy Spirit who's like a mighty river inside of those who believe. It's a choice. Faith is a choice to take God at His word and believe. Stand to your feet with me. I want to pray for you. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our anointed King, the Lord of all lords with all power and authority, we come to you today. We surrender to you. How about you join me? Can we wave the, the surrender flag to the Lord? Get your hands up. If, you, if your heart surrender, let your hands show it. Let's just surrender to the King of glory today. Lord, thank you that all this that you did, the sending of your Son to redeem us and restore us and to make all things new, you did this to raise up a church that would be kingdom embassies all throughout planet Earth that would show the world the superiority of what it looks like to love you and to honor your word and to put your word into practice in our lives. So I speak blessing, God, over your people. I pray let the power of the Holy Spirit be released in this place today. Break off discouragement and despair and brokenness and pain and oppression in Jesus' name. We break the power off of your people today. God, let hope arise. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Let peace fill our minds, Lord. In spite of the challenges, we grab a hold of your peace today, Lord Jesus. No one is greater than you. No one has more authority than you. You kick down the gates of hell. Lord, your church is a mighty army. We're victorious in the land. Lord, the devils tremble when your people show up. Lord, the enemies of you tremble when the church stands and raises her scepter of authority. Lord, we do that today. We stand as living stones. We stand in the authority of Jesus Christ. We claim Northwest Indiana for King Jesus. Lord, we believe you for reformation and restoration. God, we're hungry for an outpouring from heaven, the mighty Holy Spirit being poured out again now in our generation God now because the earth needs you now now because this region needs you now Lord hear the cry of your people Lord we lock our hearts with your heart and we pray even as your son prayed Lord your kingdom come May your will be established in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches. Lord, throughout the land, let Jesus reign once again and let the gospel reign, the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, that's the message we carry. It's a great message. It's a message of hope. It's a message of peace. It's a message of freedom. Lord, may we never be shy in proclaiming it 
wherever we go. As we leave here today, may the good news be on our lips. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Awaken your church, Lord, in this hour, God. Make a name for yourself, God. Demonstrate the strength of your authority and your power, even now in the earth, Lord. We love you. We honor you. We kiss your hand. We submit to you joyfully, God. We adore you with everything in us, Father. Now use us for your glory, Lord. We just surrender. Take us. Take us. Fill us. Free us. And use us for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, we're not going to leave without praying for you. So come on down. Marriage class, 4 o'clock. Let's go take the kingdom wherever we go, all right? Bless you guys. We love you.